Welcome to the Kerrville Bible Church Podcast. Listen in as our pastoral staff and occasional guests discuss a variety of topics from the Bible and other sources during our weekly staff meeting. Now, here's Toby Baxley with this week's discussion. Oh, welcome to the Kerrville Bible Church Pastors Podcast. Uh, I'm Toby Baxley, uh, pastor here, uh, joined with my fellow uh, pastors, Chris and Scott and Murray. And today I am uh, I'm going to throw a a large piece of meat in the middle of a uh, a cage of dogs. <laughs> uh, we. <laughs> Uh, it's one of those. Are we? Uh, we're dogs? No, I mean I'd never say that. Uh, I thought we were going to be lions or tigers. lions, 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 not dogs, lions. A den of yeah, lions. a den of lions. Um, we are going to talk about the gospel and evangelism and how to um, really present the gospel and evangelize without using uh, trite phrases and. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, for, I guess for lack of a better term, asking people to, to ask Jesus in, into their heart, um, where we never see that in the Bible, but it has become somehow, um, synonymous with, with evangelism and especially, uh, evangelism of children. I know that was my story growing up. Ask, just ask Jesus into your heart. Everything will be fine. And. You know, I grew up with some pretty weird, weird views. I was like, okay, well, I did. I wonder, uh, I don't feel any different. You know, I, don't, I wonder if he actually did jumped come to live there. in my, jumped on in. Yeah. Did he shrink and jump in your heart? <laughs> yeah. How's that supposed to work? And, and what does he do once he gets in there? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, uh, I thought we'd just start out with uh, some... Maybe some abuses that we've seen uh, of in evangel evangelistic circles, and uh, some some positives and negatives that we've seen of some different evangelical evangelistic uh, efforts, and uh, kind of go from there. Maybe talk about the sinner's prayer if there is one in the Bible. Uh, we had a good uh, pre-podcast discussion. Our our devo and prayer time uh, was about a sinner's prayer uh, from the Bible. So, um, what do you guys think? Uh, what what are some what are some bad ways? What are some wrong answers for uh, how to evangelize? Well, I would like to start by giving full disclosure that I, as a pastor, have been guilty of getting people to just make a choice, right? And uh, not that I. I believed in the full sovereignty of God, and I believed that it was God who completely saves and that there's nothing we can do for our salvation. Yet, I, in early youth ministry, uh, I, I met some evangelists. They would come to our church, and like, man, they had, they had the, the crowd, you know, eating out of the palm of their hand. And so I cut my teeth on that. I knew nothing. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up at a youth camp or, or praying a sinner's prayer or, or doing an altar call. So I knew nothing. I'm in my 30s when this started happening, going into ministry, and uh, and saw these evangelists and was like, wow. And so when I did ministry and I had an opportunity to, quote, unquote, lead youth to Christ, I just followed kind of that example. And... Uh, yeah. And with that, I would like to say that I think this would be part of our conversation. In the midst of that, 
are there people that get saved right. through an altar call? And are there false conversions through an altar call? So I, so I have absolute assurity from people that I knew that went to these crusades or whatever it had been, and they absolutely got saved. But it wasn't the sinner's prayer that saved them, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't the altar call that saved them. It was yeah. Jesus that saved them. Right. Um, and so, anyway, that's a little a bit of disclosure for me as you guys kind of weigh in. Well, we can sure go there with, with altar calls. That's uh, that's on the agenda. So, uh, obviously, if you're uh, a part of our church, you know that we don't do altar calls here on uh of course, I've been here for a little over five years, and we've never done one. Uh, that doesn't mean that you couldn't come down for prayer. Uh, pastors are always available for that, but there is not a, a formal time in the service where we we call people to to come down, come forward, um, and uh, so maybe why is that? Yeah, why, Chris? Why, why Chris? Yeah, what's do you going not on, do Chris? Why calls? not, yeah. Chris? I was going to try to lay low on this podcast. <laughs> I've been asked that question a lot over the years. Uh, a lot of our folks have had backgrounds uh, in churches that uh, put a high priority on altar calls and invitations. Might be another way they're described. Mm-hmm. Um, raising the hand, praying the prayer, walking the aisle, coming down, filling out a card. It takes a lot of different forms, you know. Um, uh, thankfully, God's protected me from, uh, I think, falling into that um, practice uh, because I've never, see, I'd never even heard the phrase, ask Jesus into your heart until after I was already a Christian. Mm. That's that's what happens when you're brought mm. up in the Methodist church. Yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, there's no, there's no instant, instant conversion mindset in a mainline Methodist church, mm. you know, uh, and so for good or bad. So anyway, I um, have just never I've never been in a in a scenario where altar calls were done and looked appealing and and so, um, uh, you know, you guys know my story. I mean, I was kind of at reformed faith almost from the beginning, and it's just really been fine tuned over the years. It wasn't a drastic kind of reconversion to to reformed faith and reformed theology. So. Uh, but I've been asked that question from day one, and the reason I don't is because I think there's more uh, uh, potential for abuse and danger and false conversions than there are potential for real conversions. And I think they can be emotionally manipulative. I think they're uh, actually, I think they're um, unkind. I, I think logistically, it just doesn't even work. You're going to bring somebody down, and there's a song being sung generally, and you're supposed to be talking about the matters of their eternal soul in three minutes while song and all this noise is going on. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing about the whole scenario makes sense to me, actually. <laughs> and while all these people are watching. While right? all these people are watching. Yeah. Maybe this... 300 people watching. One person stand there. Right. right? It's all it's all awkward and inappropriate, almost in a dehumanizing in some ways to me. It's like, years ago, we did a thing where we said, we're available after the service. Uh, and, and a few times people took advantage of that, and we would rotate elders so who would be available or may just always, you know, would been, been me. But the idea would be we're going to close this service, and we're going to go back here to a, to a room where we have 30 minutes, and it's quiet, and we can talk about these things. And, and it's not this three-minute high-pressure moment where um, 
too many too many important things are at stake. So, um, and then on the other side of that, I've I've said and I've preached this many times. You know, you you can repent and, and believe right where you sit right now mm-hmm. in the sermon. You don't have to wait for the closing song. You don't have to wait for this sermon to end. Right now, right where you are, you can. Um, do business with God. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with coming down front. Uh, it, it could happen in the pew. It could happen in the foyer. It could happen in the parking lot. It could happen on your way home. It could happen this afternoon at, before you go to bed. I mean, all those things. And so uh, it all comes back to our theology. You know, God is the one drawing and convicting and regenerating. And uh, he can do it through the means of an altar call and an invitation. No doubt he has and he can. But I just... I just think you're setting people up for uh, a real dangerous false conversion situation. Yeah. And I don't want to be uh, guilty of spiritual malpractice. And I, I don't want to have to answer to God for yes. that. <laughs> Murray just repented and believed what you were talking. Yeah. yeah I think uh, so. Once again. He's got <laughs> I continue to repent. Yeah, that's right. And believe. That's how you know. <clears throat> that's right. I, I love that. There's a, maybe it's a John Calvin quote, but it's, uh, how do you know that you are part of the elect because you repent and believe. That's uh, right. Absolutely. That's how you know. Yeah. That's you know. So I, I grew up in an independent fundamentalist Baptist church, and uh, you know the altar call was standard fare uh, every mm-hmm. service, and mm-hmm. we we sang "Just as I Am." You know the seventeen verses. And uh, and um, you know, and they said we're not going to stop singing until someone comes down and all that. <laughs> I, I grew up with yeah. all that. Uh, in the Sunday school hour, they gave altar calls, and and you know, as a young boy, um, I was convicted. I was convicted by the gospel, and every time they gave an altar call or said raise your hand, you know, everybody bow your head. Uh, you know, close your eyes, no one looking around. Uh, you know, if you want to trust Jesus, if you want to ask Jesus into your heart, raise your hand right now. Just quietly lift it up. And, you know, and so every time they did that, I, I got to do it. We were you. to do altar calls. Yeah. You're, Scott you're, will be the man. He's, he's hyper Everybody's going to watch He's hyper saved and ultra saved because he, he got saved like 42 saved, times. I was saved so many times. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I, I totally agree with Chris that, that, you know, a lot of times what what that amounts to it, 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 it amounts to a special event like almost like baptism it, you know within uh, some denominations like church of christ christian church you know baptism is essential to salvation and that event becomes so central to their understanding of the gospel that if you don't get baptized you're not saved and in many baptist circles if you don't come down to the altar if you don't respond to you know the call you know the altar call the external you know invitation uh if you don't say that 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 sinner's prayer repeat after me then you haven't truly been saved Mm. and and so so people can can rely upon an event and, and the emotional manipulation that attends that event can be a powerful thing for people and they cling to that emotional event as if that was you know that was what saved them and it doesn't matter what their lives look like after that because they said the prayer they they went down the aisle well what their lives external action yeah and what their lives will often look like is a is a continual rededication situation yeah right Uh, uh, because this wasn't real then i backslide uh, we have to call it backsliding because we th- 
yeah. we act like this thing was was a real conversion, mm-hmm. but then it, they really just stay in their life of sin, which they call backsliding, which means annually when when we have the revival, right. <laughs> uh, I've got to rededicate my life. Mm-hmm. I've got to rework. I got to get this all these emotions worked up again and redo this thing because it didn't take before really. And my wife had a similar upbringing to yours. Uh, yeah. At uh, she was at Falwell's Church, Thomas Rhodes, her, her growing oh, up wow. years, yeah. and uh, so she's been she's prayed the prayer numerous times. She's mm. been baptized numerous times. Wow. Uh, never having the, a real assurance of salvation because she wasn't actually saved. Mm. She hadn't actually repented and you know, and, and given mm. her life to Christ as as her Lord. There was no lordship involved. It was always yeah. receive Jesus as your Savior, mm. ask Jesus in your heart. So one one last thing while I've got the mic here. Um, funny little story. So Steve Camp is a contemporary Christian artist that I've always admired. I had a lot of respect for him. Uh, not everybody loves his music, but I, th- I think he's had some great lyrics over the years. Went to a concert of his in a church. Actually, my wife's former church, Shades Mountain Independent yep. Church in Birmingham. Went to a concert there of him one one time, and he he gave, I'm doing quotes here, he, he gave an altar call, and here was his altar call. With Every head raised and every eye open. <laughs> if you're ready to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, dying to yourself, taking up your cross and following Him, um, you know He may have had people stand up or something. But it was none of this secret. Nobody's, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just the soft evangel- music in the background, no, no, dim the lights. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> it was. A, every, I want everybody to see it. Everybody you know, was. every let's, eye. Let's turn all the lights on. That's right. <laughs> so I, I thought, wow, that's good. I like that. So, so just uh, Toby, I know you're leading this, so I'm not gonna. No, I threw gonna... the meat out to okay. the lions. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah. well, good. go where you want. Well, good. I'm near the bone. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I would do, kind of to to safeguard against what I thought was an emotional or an experiential conversion, I would actually do what you're saying, Chris. I would I would say, look, we're not gonna dim the lights. We're not playing soft music in the background. Uh, you know this, so so it was like I knew that it came through repentance and belief, and it was God who saved. Yet I was, and I would say early on in ministry, I was looking for the affirmation myself of right, people that's responding. Right. That's right, right? Mm-hmm. and and how many pastors have done that? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and shame on me. And and Chris, you used a term spiritual malpractice. Wow, that is very convicting. Shame yeah. on us if we would uh, practice spiritual malpractice. Yeah. Well, I think there are some. Some professional evangelism, professional evangelists, traveling evangelists who, who resort to the same uh, sort of malpractice. And I don't know how many times I've heard, if you don't know the day and the hour of your salvation, mm-hmm. well, you're not saved. Mm-hmm. And I grew up, you know, even now, I mean, I couldn't tell you the day or the hour. I, I'm not even sure I could tell you the decade. Um, but uh, I know that I know that I'm saved. Um, and, Tell uh, me if you were to die today, you want to you want to go there? <laughs> no, no. I'm just, okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I do. You want to? <laughs> ee, baby. That's right. Yes, yeah, evangelism right. explosion. Well, I think there. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us a little balance on this yes. because I think we're mostly talking about church evangelism. It sounds yeah, like yeah, and yeah. preaching evangelism. We're not really talking about personal one-on-one evangelism mm-hmm. yet. I don't know if that's where you want to go, but um, I think just to bring a little balance to it, uh, we, we recognize that this whole invitation altar call thing is flawed. Another reason I'd st- I don't do them, and, and one of the parts of my answer to that question is church history. Mm. 
Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Most people that believe in them don't know where they came from, don't know the origin, don't know how long they've been around. And so I try to work that into an explanation. You know, this is something relatively novel and new. 1850s, Charles Finney, That's right. the anxious seat, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. I said, the, do you understand that the church, the body of Christ, went 1,800 years without it, <laughs> without it right. and did just fine? Yeah. So I go down that road some, but, but let's bring some balance back. There, if we're talking about the pulpit and we're talking about church, there still needs to be a sense of pleading and urgency, begging. Uh, there needs to be a sense mm-hmm. of you aren't promised tomorrow, um, a sense of uh, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Mm-hmm. It is time. Today is the day of salvation. It is time right now to repent of your sins, to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord. You know, And so I don't want us to go so far the other way that we're just like... <clears throat> That that there is no evangelism or there's no urgency or we're just kind of we're just so Calvinistic that we're just like well God's going to save who He's going to save and you know we don't need to be passionate about this and so right. I try to I'm trying to find that fine line in the middle of all that right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and Romans ten I'm sorry Scott Romans ten doesn't allow us to not preach the gospel right and so yes under the banner of the sovereignty of God but well then why would we go tell if God's already because the Bible tells us to right yeah. and, and and I think and, and they must repent. Yeah, and believe they must yeah. if they want to. Right. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask. I think for uh, part of the continuation of the conversation is okay, Chris. We you have in your tenure of ministry not done altar calls and and follow me in a sinner's prayer, uh, and then so then what do we do? I think what to to have the proper balance. What are we doing in our evangelistic effort? that is biblical to call people to a response, right? And, and do we just, do we end the sermon, boom, it ends, and then we just walk out? Or is there a, is there a call to action, right? In, a, in personal evangelism and in our, in, our, in our church evangelism. So, Scott, I know you're going to say something. Well, yeah, that, you know, I, I think when people say, well, you don't, you don't do altar calls, you don't do a sinner's prayer, you don't, you know, the historic sinner's prayer in Baptist circles. We can talk about sinner's prayer in scripture. But, um, you know, so people people have talked to me about it, and people in our own church body, you know, have asked, why why do we not do these things? Um, the assumption is is that, well, then you don't do evangelism at all, because, because people have grown up in those circles that are typically influenced by an Arminian or semi-Pelagian kind of theology. It, it just assumes that, well, you're a Calvinist, and well, you don't evangelize. Uh, now, hyper-Calvinism, that would be true, but we are not hyper-Calvinists. In Calvinism, as Chris has made very clear in much of his preaching, you know, God's sovereignty does not undermine human responsibility. In fact, it mm-hmm. undergirds human responsibility, mm-hmm. and God always <clears throat> uses means by which to accomplish his sovereign purposes, mm-hmm. and the means that he uses for evangelism is us. We must preach the gospel. We must press the claims of Christ to those who are hearing what we are saying. And and I think even in personal evangelism, what does that mean? I, I tell people that you need to know the gospel well. You need to be able to have a clear and articulate way to explain what the gospel is and you need to press those claims when you are given opportunity. The other thing that I say in, in personal evangelism, and, and I'm trying to shoot my whole load here maybe, but, <laughs> but you know, if you look at, for example, Paul 
in the New Testament, you, you read through the book of Acts, he shares his own testimony multiple times in multiple venues when he is given that opportunity. And I think it's important for personal evangelism especially to know your own story, to know mm-hmm. your own testimony, and to convey that to others to say, this is what Christ did for me. Let me share that with you. Yeah. And, and and in that process, press those claims upon the hearer that you must repent. You must trust Christ because you are without hope right. if you do not. Yeah. We want to share our story, but the, the basis of the gospel is not our story. That's right. I was yeah, just thinking the, that, it's too. It's the objective story of God. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Our story is not the gospel, yes. right? Yeah. But it contains the gospel. It's right. the difference between witnessing and proclaiming. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's how this how the story has personally impacted you, mm-hmm. or how the gospel has yeah, personally I'm, impacted your as own a witness. Story. As right. a witness, this exactly. is my testimony. Yes. but that's a different thing than this yeah. is now yeah. proclaiming. So there's a distinction between your own testimony and the gospel itself that saved you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So do you ever start with God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Four spiritual laws: Campus Crusade for Christ, Bill Bright. <laughs> I've never done that. I have never done that. I don't think I have either. So I did the, uh, gosh, this would have been 15, 16 years ago, EE training. It's like a 14-week evangelism explosion uh, training. Really, I mean, 90% really good. Oh, the day James Kennedy. Yep. Who was a Calvinist, was by the way. Yeah, Dr. James Kennedy. And, <laughs> and I think that... Uh, <clears throat> There are some now that you know I've I've grown personally and my own understanding of Scripture and even Reformed theology and what have you. But I think to a degree, like every every believer should have to go through something because it it literally I have a high gift of evangelism, spiritual gift, and when I went through that, it just it gave me some structure into how to have a conversation with a non-believer. And it gave you some tools to when they throw up a smoke screen or they're ta- just you right. could you could have I could have a twenty five minute conversation right. learning this method. There were a few maybe ten percent holes in it that that I would not use now, right. but but good. But I, so talking about do we start with God loves you and has a perfect plan? So they start with you you ask the two diagnostic questions, and then and then you share grace. That's point number one and. That heaven is a free gift, and verses like the way of the master, I think Ray Comfort starts with the Ten Commandments. <laughs> it says, "Have you broken these?" So then, by your own admission, you are an adulterer, a liar. A da, 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 you know, yeah. do you think God will judge you? And so, yeah. I think, I think that's probably a better place to start. Total depravity of man than than eternal life being a free gift. You know, so yeah, I, you know, I th- I haven't done a ton of personal evangelism, not near as much as I should or wish I did. Uh, so. Full disclosure there. Um, it's a it's a burden in my own Christian life uh, that I don't do more of it. I always enjoy it once it's once the ice is broken. My my big challenge is is just breaking the ice. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but I probably have used the EE questions more than anything as far as I think back over my whole life. Those two questions. I don't ever. I don't even know the rest of the program. Yeah, I just know the two questions. questions. What, what, are the, what are the? What are the? And then I just go from so, there. Yeah. Uh, if you one. were to die today, do you know for certain that God would allow you into heaven? Mm-hmm. And while you're thinking about that, let's suppose you did die today and you stood before God and He said, "Scott, why should I let you into my heaven?" Yeah. What would you say? Yeah. And, and the two the two questions. The first one is. <laughs> 
it diagnoses, do you believe in there's a heaven or a hell or eternity, right? right? That's yeah, what right. you're going to diagnose. Right. And the second one is, well, what are you trusting That's in right. if you if there is They're a very heaven, effective. Right? They get yeah. right to the heart of the matter yeah. real fast. And so, yeah, I've, yeah, I've used, them, used them a time. But I think maybe uh, alongside those, uh, I think when I have been effective in personal evangelism, it's involved a lot of questions. I don't assume anything. Mm-hmm. I want to try to, I'm really trying to show an interest and a care and a love for this person mm-hmm. and understand who they are and where they are and what their, you know, what their background is and, and uh, what they know, what they believe, where they're coming from. You know, because I think we just go cookie cutter. We're going to be scratching where they don't really itch. You know, it's uh, yeah. so. I mean, I'm going to start off like, "Hey, did you go to church?" You know, if I, this is the plain conversation. You got yeah. two hours on plane. You got a church background. You know, do you? Uh, how were you raised? Uh, you know, but even before that, it's mm-hmm. you're introducing yourself. What do you do for a living? Where are you going? <laughs> uh, are you going home? You going? You know, you just. But I, I think just having. Taking time to say this person is not somebody I'm going to just notch on my on my holster, you know. Mm-hmm. It's this is a real human being, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I want to show love and concern and compassion and interest in them, and um, and and see where this conversation goes. So I'm fishing, mm-hmm. you know. I'm fishing for men, and they mm-hmm. may not, they may never take off their headphones. You know, they may have no interest in a, in a conversation. But I think they're. I think. Christians under the guise of zeal for Christ have done a lot of damage for the gospel by being tactless, harsh, overbearing, salesmen, salesmen, um, and they really don't even care about the person. They're really, if you think about it, they're just trying to assuage their own guilt or or do their duty, and mm-hmm. it's not even motivated by love for the individual. Yeah, as a yeah. as an image bearer of God, you know. I, I think a lot of times you. Personal evangelism takes on this uh, an us versus them mentality. Well, I have the truth, and you're you're a you know you're a you know a pagan, and you need to believe the truth, and and it becomes a defensive kind of thing instead of engaging this person where they are, and then using that as an opportunity to get to know them, and then to look for those open doors, you know, to be able to engage them at a deeper level and build trust. With that person, so that they're willing to listen to you, right. um, yeah. and and hear what you have to say. Yeah, evangelism. Uh, yeah. They, you talk a lot about like, um, where's the where's the hook? You know, and the hook is people are, for the most part, they're they're intrigued or maybe flattered or comforted, I don't know what it might be, by somebody showing interest in them, which mm-hmm. is what you're saying, Chris, mm-hmm. is show real interest in them. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that's the hook, <laughs> right? The hook is somebody wants somebody interested in them, and when they see it's genuine, that it's not, you're not selling a pitch, you're not just trying to get a notch on your belt, but when they see, and yes, it's, maybe it's only a two-hour conversation on an airplane, but uh, what is your heart motive sitting there next to someone, and you're being, you're personally being convicted to share What's the motive? Is it is it the the notch on the belt, or is it man? I, I'm I really I care about people. I love people because if you're a believer, you gotta love people. I mean, I don't see how you can get away from that, right? You gotta love people and be concerned for people's souls, and and then show interest in them, right? And and uh, and see where the conversation goes. Yeah, kind of a re- more of a relational evangelism versus right. a. A sales pitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the truth of the gospel requires a response. It, it demands really a response. Do you do you ask for a response in your in personal evangelism? 
At some point, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, you know Jesus when, did. Yeah, when, when, you get, when you get that person, when you've gotten to that place where um, – where they understand the gospel and, 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 you know, you look for that open opportunity to say, you know, what are you going to do with this? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you stand accountable before a holy God and, and he will hold you account for how you respond to these claims that, that I have, that I've laid before you. And, um, so Scott, if yeah. they said, well, what in that moment they say, well, what do I need to do? What would you tell them? I would explain to them that they need to repent and place their faith in Christ. That Christ is their only hope, and, and it, it all comes as part of the explanation of the gospel. Um, you know, and uh, so you need to turn from your sin because that is what has kept you from having this relationship with this holy God. Um, and you know, and God has made that provision for you. Through Christ, and He has designed Christ to not only atone for your sins, but to be engaged personally as the Lord of your life, as your Lord and Savior, and that means a personal relationship with the living God, and that is your only hope. And Mm -hmm. until you enter into that relationship and recognize that you have no hope except that you place your faith in Him and what He has done in order to secure forgiveness of your sins and eternal life, there's no hope for you. Mm-hmm. But this is where questions come into play for me because <clears throat> you got to know what needs to be emphasized, you know. And that's going to be determined. That's going to be determined by what this person already knows and believes. And in our culture, so many people already think they are Christians, and they already know about Jesus, and they believe in God, and they pray. And so it just becomes a, a, a you know an issue of discernment of, I mean I did jail ministry here a few years ago before before COVID and, and all that and <laughs> this was one of the big shocks of that whole thing. Majority of those guys were brought up in the church. Mm-hmm. Majority of those guys had had been church, had been evangelized, had been they had Bibles, um, knew the answers. Knew the answers, mm. and and so I think this is where again you just gotta. So I may need to stress repentance, or I may need to stress faith, or I may need to stress the lordship of Christ, or I may need to stress that He's Savior. I may need to stress gentle and lowly. I may need to stress <laughs> uh, it's a fearful thing right. to fall into the hands of the living God. You got to know what you're dealing, what's in front of you. I mean, yeah. there's a there's a pastoral element to it. If you're talking to somebody that's a Catholic, they already know their sin. I mean, they're beat up. They're beat to, you know, what they're doing is they're thinking their baptism and their confession and their communion, um, communion. communion is get, is is getting them there. You know, and and so you that person you want to go yeah. to Ephesians two eight nine, but if you're talking to the gen, the typical Baptist person with a Baptist background, brought up. Mm-hmm. Here in Ephesians two eight nine, their whole life. That's probably not where you need to go, you know. Uh, or, or, or if you were talking to a girl who you discover has been sexually abused by her father or something like that. Okay, how are you going to approach someone like that who feels hopeless, feels like they have nothing left before them? In, in that sense, I want to I want to share how Christ is not only the hope of salvation from our own sin, but He is also the hope 
of salvation from how you've been sinned against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, God's the power of the gospel doesn't just save us from our own sin. It saves us from the impact that an evil world has foisted upon us, That's you know, because we live in this evil world and Christ has overcome it. He provides hope for the hopeless. He mm-hmm. provides hope That's for it. those who have been abused right. and neglected and, and cast aside. Yeah, and I think that brought up in my mind, Scott, that there's a lot of people who are so self-condemned, not because they maybe were abused against, but their own sin, they go, there is no way a loving God would accept me. So that's a totally different approach. Right? Are we going to say, well, you need to yeah. repent because yeah. we know they need to repent. But, right. but right. so how would we? So I think, yeah. I think what the the it's, the jest of all this, the bottom line, really, Chris, you brought it up, is is getting to know the person. It's and that's customized. Why, yeah, and that's why yeah. I love uh, what we would call relational evangelism right. is really getting to know somebody. Let's right. say you go get your haircut at the same place every time. Right. Why not just request the same person? Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to know them. You got to, you've started to ask about their family, and, right. and you've been going there for two mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And you're saying, hey, you know, you said last time, last month your grandma needed prayer for something. How is your grandma? And you just kind of see those layers, right? And, And maybe then you invite them over to dinner at your house with you and your wife. Relational evangelism. And, and yeah. so really, uh, you said a pastoral aspect to this, mm-hmm. and that's for every Christian. That's not mm-hmm. for pastors. Right. The, all of us have this, this shepherding disposition to love people to the gospel without a false conversion, but we love them. And what do we do? We invite them into our life. We, we get mm-hmm. to know them. And, and there's where you see I have experienced way more genuine conversion versus the wham-bam, you know. Decisional. Yeah, yeah. hospitality type yeah. evangelism. Yeah. But, you know, the downside of that is it's all relational and no evangelism. Right, and there's no gospel. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It's just hanging out. Yeah. It's just going to the same person over coffee. that. That's right. Yeah. It's interesting to I me. Mean, you listen to a lot of testimonies, and uh, you know, all of us have had this experience when you talk to those and find out how they came to Christ. And you know, like when Scripture is involved, in particular, you know, and where people read a passage of Scripture, they heard a sermon on a particular passage that was not even remotely evangelistic. Right. Mm-hmm. And they got saved by hearing this bizarre passage that didn't seem to have anything to do with Christ and his death and resurrection or anything. But the Lord used that to speak to them in some powerful way for whatever where they were at. Mm-hmm. And and you know, that's and that's why we, we have to avoid the cookie cutter yeah. you know, mentality. Uh, because all of scripture is powerful, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and and can be used to pierce and penetrate, you know, to the division of soul and spirit. Yeah, yeah. Romans ten seventeen that faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Yeah. In the book of Acts, when Peter preaches, and I picture that scene, and he preaches the gospel, and those people. I mean, we don't know the emotion of, but I, I almost picture them crying out what must we do yeah. you know pierced to the heart just pierced and it, it cut the word of god yeah. cut to their heart uh-huh. the gospel cut to their heart and so what's our job and for the sake of our listener um in this idea of evangelism that that what are the two things that we're calling people to we're calling them to repent and believe and for the sake of those who are believers who are listening to this that be able to explain the word repentance 
know what that means, how to explain it, and be able to explain the word believe mm-hmm. in its fullness, mm-hmm. right? It's not an intellectual ascent to, well, yeah, I, I believe, of course I believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Be able to explain to them, well, no, no, it's not an intellectual belief, though it includes that. Yeah. It's, it's deeper than that. It's a trust, right? It's yeah. a faith. It's a giving personal, control over to. And so I think for our listeners that are struggling with being evangelist is you when you get to the point after sharing the gospel and you get to the point of repentance and belief be able to be able to define repentance so know that study it read it write it down and be able to know how to explain and unpack the word believe because that's what the bible says right it says believe on the lord jesus and you will be saved yeah well, what does that mean well then you, <laughs> you can't know? leave out the lord jesus right. in yeah. that discussion but who is he who, who is, is he? What do you do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lord, uh, ha- Jesus, yeah. yeah, and we gotta we gotta understand who because he's the one that saves. Our That's faith right. doesn't save us. We're not saved by our faith. Yeah. We're saved right. by the object of our faith, and, and we're not <laughs> saved by believing certain truths. Yeah. We're saved by placing our faith in Christ. He That's, is the yeah, ultimate yeah, object. He's the savior. Faith. So you got to know something of who he is. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we could go on and on and on about this, but we are out of time. So uh, thank you, brothers, for um, a good uh, discussion, and we uh, we hope it's uh, encouraging to you. It's uh, strengthening to you in your own uh, evangelistic effort. And uh, let me close our time in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that... Uh, Lord, we thank you that someone, someone shared the gospel with us. Um, and that uh, by your spirit we were uh, we were called uh, we were uh, we repented and and believed and put our trust in Jesus uh, his atoning work um, for our sins and and that by your by your grace uh, we know that we have repented unto salvation because we continue to repent and believe and um, and that you uh, continually work in our hearts to refine our faith, to uh, to strengthen our our faith in Jesus, um, and and we look forward, Father, to when you will uh, complete that work of uh, of salvation, sanctification. We see Jesus face to face in our. Our sorrows are past, and we're at home at last. Um, and Father, I pray that our our listeners would be encouraged by this today, and that they would be intentional uh, in in sharing the gospel, uh, sharing their testimonies of what you've done uh, in them, um, based on the truth of of your word, and uh, that that you would give us opportunities, maybe even today, an opportunity to, uh, to share the gospel uh, with, with someone and uh, that they would repent and believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Kerrville Bible Church Podcast. In future episodes, we would like to answer your biblical, theological, or pastoral questions. Send them to us via email at questions at kervillebiblechurch.org or leave us a text or voicemail at 830-321-0349.